believe no other book in the Bible gives us such a explanation and an example of what, what true Christianity is and should be. There are five big, what I call classic Christian statements or verses in the book of Galatians to me that sums it up. We looked at chapter 2 and verse number 20 last Sunday morning where he said, The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the mandate of a Christian. No one enters into the Christian life until they realize that Christ died for them and they accept him as their personal Savior. But I want to tell you, Christianity doesn't stop at receiving Christ as your personal Savior. It continues as following Christ as your Lord. And so Paul said, I'm alive. I live in Christ. It's not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me. And then last Sunday evening, we went to chapter number 3, where Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster. And it brings us to God, for we must be justified by faith. And we talked about the making of a Christian. How does God take somebody that's lost and undone and then all of a sudden make them a Christian? Well, they realize they are a sinner. And the law lets us know that. But they trust Christ and Christ alone. For we are saved and redeemed and justified by putting faith in what Jesus did for you and I. Joining the church will not make you a Christian. Being water baptized will not make you a Christian. Trying to be good to folks will not make you a Christian. Now you ought to do all of that. But the making of a Christian is when somebody realizes they're a sinner and they need a Savior. And they put their faith in what Christ did for them. The law cannot save, but it sure did put me under conviction. And it told me that I needed a Savior. Well, aren't you glad when the Word of God is preached, God does more than reveal our sins. He points us to the, res- to the remedy. He points us to one that can do something about our sin. And have you met Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as your Savior? Has He saved you and redeemed you? Do you have just a form of religion or do you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? And I could preach a thousand years from today. We could sing a thousand songs about it. But under the Holy Spirit, arrest you and bring you to the end of yourself and the light of the gospel shine into your heart. You'll never step out of your religion into a relationship. I believe one of the biggest mission fields in the world is in the four walls, or in our case, the eight walls of our church pews. I'm afraid that the devil is filling hell up with church folks who think they're saved. They have some kind of supposition they're saved. They have some faint idea that they may be a Christian. But I want to tell you, the Bible is very, very plain that being a Christian, being saved, is not just keeping rules and going through the motions of religious activity. It is a relationship with God through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I want you to ask yourself this question today, all of us, and each section, each section from the back to the front, in the middle, those watching our internet broadcast, may the Holy Ghost today search your heart. And may you ask yourself this question, am I fooling myself? Am I just going through thinking that I'm a Christian or supposing I'm a Christian? Ladies and gentlemen, you can know that you're saved. And your life can have the evidence of salvation. I I don't want anybody to go to hell from Atlanta, Georgia to the jungles of Asia or the Amazon River or the plains of Africa the North Pole, the South Pole, behind the bamboo curtain, behind the iron curtain. That's where our mission program, wherever man is breathing, we got a gospel witness there. And it's bad to die without God and go to hell from any place. But to die without God and go to hell, sitting in a Baptist church or any kind of church where the word of God is preached, Now, I can understand how some people can go to certain churches and die without God and bust hell wide open because they've never heard the gospel. All they've heard is politics and prosperity or, or some story hatched out of the Reader's Digest. So I don't have any problem seeing that people can sit in that religious atmosphere and not know God. I can understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, if you have ever sat one time in a building where the Bible was preached and the gospel was preached. Listen to me today. You are without excuse. No one in this room by the time we get through can miss salvation and stand before God and say, nobody ever told me I had to repent of my sin. Nobody ever told me I had to realize I was a sinner. Nobody ever told me that Christ and Christ alone can save me. No one here today and no one watching this program will be able to say that because it's just been said. Look at me, ladies and gentlemen. The church cannot save you. Religion cannot save you. The preacher cannot save you. Most of all, you cannot save you. You must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to be born again. Can I tell you this today? Baptists go to hell. Methodists go to hell. Presbyterians go to hell. Church of God people go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. If you're saved and you're in one of them other kind of churches or one like this, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. If you know Jesus, you are going. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit birthed you into His family, Washed you in his precious blood. I don't care what kind of religious tag you have upon you. You're not going to be in that place called heaven. Because the Bible said we cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless we have been born again. And I'm afraid a lot of people are confused and bewildered. Because they've never heard the truth of the gospel. But you can't leave this place in a few moments having not heard the truth of the gospel. I will not tell you, join our church and you can be saved. I will not tell you, uh, let one of our associates baptize you and you can be saved. I will not tell you, walk down here and shake my hand and you'll be saved. I will not tell you that. But I will tell you this. If you'll look to the cross and call upon Jesus Christ, 
And invite him in by faith and put your trust in what he did at Calvary. You can be saved. And you can have the kind of salvation that'll change your life. You can have the kind of salvation that'll change your life. You can have the kind of salvation that'll change your life. You'll have the kind of salvation that people recognize in your life. That'll be the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's more than just religion. It's a relationship. And I'm glad through these verses Paul tells us what it really means to be a Christian. And we looked at that first verse, the mandate of a Christian. We looked at that second verse, the making of a Christian. And I'm going to try to squeeze three more verses into the next 15 minutes. But I got a feeling we ain't going to get but to one of them. I want you to come now to Galatians chapter number 6. And in this sixth chapter are the next three classic Christian statements. Three more statements to me that not only explain but exemplify the Christian life. We looked at the mandate of a Christian. We looked at the making of the Christian. We come now to chapter number six and verse number nine. Boy, what a powerful verse this is. He says in verse number nine, and let us. Not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, I like that, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That tells me something that even though you're saved and you know the Lord, there's going to be some difficulties, some setbacks, some troubles and trials in your life. I beg you this morning, don't, don't believe the prosperity gospel that's permeated on so-called Christian television and radio and internet that if you're saved and you're right with God and you do what's right, you'll always be happy, you'll always be rich, you'll always be healthy, you'll always be wealthy. You see, there's only one problem with that kind of philosophy. It's not in the Bible. It's not even in the maps. It's not even in the concordance. It's not even in the Bible dictionary. It's not even in the index. There is no scripture in the Bible whatsoever at all that tells you and I that if we live for God and do what's right, that we always are going to be prosperous and blessed and happy. There's other verses like this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. There's another verse in the Bible that all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible said it rains on the just and the unjust. If we didn't have to battle these things in Romans 8, Paul wouldn't tell us how to have the victory over these things. And if I count it directly, he named 17 different things. He talked about peril. He talked about persecution. He talked about the sword. This verse tells me something, ladies and gentlemen, that there will be a place in your life where all of us will have the temptation to be weary, to be tired. The word means to be uh, frustrated, anxious, ready to give up. And I want to say this, Christians don't give up when it gets tough. People that know the Lord, we, we, we don't give up when the going gets tough. We don't turn back when the going gets tough. Man, we don't quit the time of trouble. That's, that's when we double up. That's when we draw closer to God. 
The Lord doesn't allow afflictions and setbacks, whether it's emotional or physical or financial or domestic or whatever. God does not sovereignly, sovereignly allow afflictions to come in your life to drive you away from Him. That's what the devil wants you to do. Go away from God. I missed this for years. I missed this for years. Uh, studying the life of Job. And boy, God showed it to me. I, I don't know how I missed it. It's plain. It's right there. We felt like this thing that's going on in Job's life, the devil's after him. But, but it's deeper than that. You remember what the devil told God? He said, Lord, if you will let me afflict this man and, and hurt this man, the devil said to God, he'll curse you to your face. God, he'll blaspheme you to your face. The devil said, if I can put all these trials in his life, I ain't worried about him serving me. He'll just turn his back on you. And man, that's what the devil wants. Man, the devil don't mind if we don't worship him or give him the glory. But I'll tell you what he can do. If he can get all of us to turn our back on God, that's what he wants. And the trials of our faith and the struggles of our faith and the weariness that comes with serving God and trying to do what's right. That is not designed by our Heavenly Father to bring the worst out in us. It is designed by our Heavenly Father to bring the best that's out in us. And he said, let us not be weary in well-doing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out on Saturday night and you're drinking it up and doping it up, and cursing it up, and adultery, and fornicating it up, then you know, you're going to have to reap what you sow. And the Bible says, whatsoever man soweth that shall, he also reap. I got a lot of people that tells me all the time, Brother John, I'm having a hard time, and, and you watch their life, and it, it ain't no wonder. Unfaithful to church, unfaithful tither, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, halfway living, for, and you, no wonder. But this verse here today is those who are going to church, those who are saved, those who are living right. You say, but I don't understand the preacher. I'm living right and that person's living wrong and they're suffering and I'm suffering. It's not over yet. Preacher, this person who hardly comes to church and never pays their tithes, they got a bigger house, they got a more shiny car, they seem to have more stuff than I got. It's not over yet. You got to understand that the payday for a Christian is not always in the now. Oh, let me say that again. The payday of a Christian is not always in the now. And you just remember that's people that don't go to church faithful. They don't tithe faithful. They got one foot in the world, one foot on the church. You just remember whatever they got and whatever they're enjoying and ever how good it is. Remember this. They better enjoy it because that's all they got and they ain't getting nothing else. And remember this. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat and what they leave behind is going to be gone in a puff of smoke. But I'm glad what you have done for Christ, what you have suffered for Christ, there are any kind of reproach you have borne for Christ, honey, that will last forever and forever and forever. And he said in the text, let us not be weary in well-doing. 
You say, what is well doing? That's doing what God has told you to do. We had a young fellow one time come through here, and God bless his heart. He was all the time wanting to do something big, something big, something big. Every, every once in a while, he'd come off us, man, I want to do this big thing. I want to do this big thing. I want to do this big thing. And he had big plans. And I mean, just big, awesome plans. Want to do something big. Want to do something big. How come I can't do nothing big? How come I can't do nothing big? And finally, I had all of that I could take. And very kindly and very tenderly, I called his name. I said, son, before God's going to let you set the woods on fire, and before the Lord's going to let you do something big, why don't you think about coming to church faithful? Why don't you think about participating in the small things? How often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? Are you giving God what's His? I said, now, I don't know what you do privately, but I, I know who's here and who ain't here. And I said, as far as I know, you've never came to a Sunday school class. You may have dotted a Wednesday night, maybe once every 50 years. You might come back a Sunday night here and there. and might come on Sunday morning if you ain't got nothing else to do. And I said, son, you'll never go to the big stuff until you get faithful in the little stuff. And I believe I got some scripture for that. The criteria of the judgment is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few, and I'll make your rulers over many. When you see somebody that looks like God's just all over them, and God's using them, and God's blessing them, what you see them doing is not the secret of why they're getting to do what they're doing. What they've been doing that you don't recognize is a reason why God's are doing in their life what He's doing now. You say, what is well doing? Well doing is living like the Bible taught us to live. And the Bible is full of not just suggestions, but commandments for Christians. We ought to forsake not the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some is. We ought to give out of our substance unto the Lord. We ought to pray and read our Bible and worship God and walk with God. You say, but Brother Joe, that's the minimal stuff. That's, that's the little stuff. Well, I'm not an expert on baseball. Baseball is kind of boring to me. I think it would be more fun if they'd clear the bases and use the bat on one another. Now that would excite me. But I know this much about baseball. I was watching a game one time with my dad because if you watch television with dad, you had to watch baseball or nothing. And I'm so glad that he was not the coach because he'd have fired them all and booted them out of the Hall of Fame. But man, this guy one time stepped into the plate and I've never understood the difference between baseball and golf. Now that golf ball is sitting on a tee. It ain't moving you got a club this big, but nobody can sneeze or whisper while that guy gets that ball. Shh. But here's a baseball coming 90 miles an hour and 55,000. No wonder that guy can't hit it. Too many people are screaming at him. I'd step up to the plate and say, if y'all shut up, I might be able to hit this ball. 
But brother, this guy stepped up to that plate. He hit that ball and son, it went out the stadium. It went out into the parking lot. And said that old boy was just as proud as it. Let me tell you something. If I could get a bunt at a 90 mile an hour ball, I'd be proud too. I mean, by the time it hits the plate, I ain't seen it coming. And uh, I do a lot better if you'd let me shoot the ball instead of hit the ball. I could hit it at 400 yards away, but I can't hit it 90 feet from me. But anyway, man, he hit that ball, and he was so proud of himself. And when he got the home plate, I, here come his teammates. Here, here, all the people were screaming. His manager had his hat in the air. And the umpire walked up and said, you're out. Boy, I loved it. The bench is cleared. I'm telling you, that's the best part of baseball when a fight breaks out. Can I get a... That's why I used to love the Yankees. I used to love to watch Joe Torrey kick dirt everywhere. That was more exciting than the ball game. You're out. Boy, everybody comes up there screaming and yelling. The bench is empty. And finally, they showed us on television what happened. Man, he hit that fast ball. It went out the center field. It went over the fence. It went out into the parking lot. But as he was celebrating, as he was enjoying his stroll around the bases, he never touched first base. And I will ever forget what that sportcaster said on that program. He said, ladies and gentlemen, for what it's worth, you can't make it home if you bypass first base. I don't know if that man's a Christian or not, but he ought to be a preacher because that's a good sermon right there. It doesn't matter if you got on the uniform. It doesn't matter if you know how to stand in the batter's box. It doesn't matter the technique of your swing. It doesn't matter if you can hit a 95 mile an hour fastball. It doesn't matter if it goes out the center field. It doesn't matter if it goes over the fence. It doesn't matter if it goes into home plate. But if you don't touch every base, you can't make it home if you don't touch the base. And ladies and gentlemen, the blessing of God of being a Christian and the power of God in being a Christian, you got to start at first base. You got to be saved. You got to live for God. You got to pray. You got to read your Bible. You got to be faithful in the nominal things, in the small things, in the small realm. And by the way, sometimes you get weary in the small things and you'll think, man, this really doesn't matter. This really doesn't matter. But in the scope of the whole game, it does really matter. Let us not be weary and well doing. And watch this phrase in the text, for in due season. Now, my friends that live in the upper peninsula of Michigan and my friends that live way down in South Florida, they don't know anything about seasons. There's one season way up yonder, and it's cold. And there's one season down that way, and it's hot. But for those of us who live, sorry all my internet listeners, for those of us who live in the garden spot of the world, we have seasons. Now the only thing about that season, you never can get the church atmosphere just right. Because somebody's going to say, I like to burn slap up in church today. And set beside of them as somebody with seven blankets. I'm about to freeze to death. Amen. They'll say, man, all day right now, this so hot weather. Lord, have mercy. I'm about to burn slap up. When it gets winter time, I don't care if it gets zero. I ain't going to complain. You just lied. 
Because come winter, when it gets cold, you're going to say, man, this cold weather's hurting my hip. This cold weather's hurting my bones. This cold weather's hurting my back. I wish summer would get here. Bless God, I'm not going to complain if it's 150 every day. You don't lie it again. It's going to get about 85 degrees and go, man, I'm hot. Because by the time we acclimate to a season, the next season comes. Where normal people live, there's winter, there's spring, there's summer, there's fall. We don't pick strawberries and apples in December. And we don't plant corn in December. But we don't shovel snow and get frost above our windshield in July unless you live in Alaska. I preached in Alaska one time in July. Miss Arthur froze to death the whole time we were there. I told her, I said, I've been trying to tell you you are cold-hearted. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Everything's God. A season. There's plowing season. There's planting season. There's pruning season. And then there's growing season. And then there's the harvest season. And finally, there's eating season. And by the way, the Christian life has seasons to it. There'll be a season when you're healthy. And there'll be a season when you're unhealthy. There'll be a season when you're happy. And there'll be a season when you're sad. There'll be a season when your family's all together. And there'll be a season when the death angel comes and makes a separation. Man, there's seasons of growth. There's seasons of death. And then there's those dormant seasons when it seems like nothing is happening. But that's not when we give up. That's not when we turn back. That's not when we throw in the towel. Let us not be weary. Let us not discourage. Let us not quit in the midst of well-doing. For in due season, in due season, in God's timing, in God's season, we shall reap if we faint not. You know, there's crowns and rewards in the Bible for a lot of things. There's crowns and rewards in the Bible for living a life of holiness. It's called the crown of righteousness. There's rewards in the Bible for being a soul winner. It's called the crown of rejoicing. There's a crown in the Bible for teaching the Word of God, the golden crown, the shepherd's crown, the pastor's crown. There's even a crown in the Bible, a reward in the Bible for suffering persecution. Yeah, boy. It's all right there. There's rewards and crowns in the Bible for our services. But if I read my Bible right, and I believe I have, there's not one reward or crown in the Bible for quitters and unfaithfulness and those who faint in the way. Notice the verse, what it said, And let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do what? Think not. Now, how many believe this morning that every word of God is important? Now, if every word of God is important, you leave out one, the chain is broken. I want to agree to that this morning. Let us not be weary. I like that. I like that in due season. Man, I like that. And don't you love that promise? We shall reap. I like that. 
I like the fact that God has promised me that if I'm not weary and I don't quit and I hang in there, in God's own time, I'm going to reap. I like that. I like that, don't you? But if them other three statements are true, so is the last one in verse number 9. If we faint not. Having to believe this morning that if we faint not is just as important as in due season. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Having to believe the day that that little statement, if we faint not, is, the, is just as important of statement in that text than they are the above. You say, well, preacher, what are you saying? If I faint along the way, I'm going to go to hell. I did not say that. I did not say that. And if any preacher tells you that, he's not reading his Bible right. But I will tell you this. Paul said in the Corinthian letter, and if we build on another foundation other than Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and our works are tried with fire, if it's not of the gold and the silver and the precious stone, if it's built on wood and hay and stubble, fleshly things, temporal things, and nothing spiritual or eternal, God said we will suffer loss. I don't believe today you can lose your salvation. But I tell you what you can lose. You can lose your reward. You can lose your joy. Worst, you can use Lose your influence. Can you imagine what a tragedy it would be to go to church faithful or somewhat faithful? And I mean, you know, abstain from the, what we call the big sins, drinking, smoking, doping, fornication, tobacco chewing, playing the lottery, all them bad sins. We stay away from that. Go to church and live a decent life. But yet, when we get to the end of the journey, we've not influenced one person. We've not even passed it to our own family. We've not even passed it to the people that live under the bridge of our nose. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no rewards for quitting or fainting in the way. But there is a crown, there is a promise, there is a reward for those who will finish their race and live for God and not be weary and well-doing and don't faint, don't faint, but press on. And that promise is in the Scripture. I thought about it earlier this morning. If any man of the Bible could write about this, it was this man by the name of Paul. Go home sometime and read Second Corinthians chapter number 11. And let Paul stroll you down memory's lane to remind you of what all he went through. Man, if anybody knows what weariness and trouble is. And I think one of the hardest things at being a pastor is learning not to just laugh sometimes. When somebody is telling you why they can't live for God and why they can't go to church and why they can't be faithful and why they can't do this and why they can't do that. And when you know people's lives and there are people with real troubles and real storms and real trials, if that person could had to go through just half of what that other person's going through. They'd be more than out of church. They'd be off in a corner somewhere blowing spit bubbles. 
I'm amazed at the strength of some and the weakness of others. I'm amazed how some Christians, church folks, can go through some of the deepest, darkest, most hideous, painful, awful pressures and trials of life. And they don't faint. They're unmoved. They're still living for God. And they still have a testimony. And I'm so amazed at what it takes to remove and knock out of the way some church folks. I almost said to a man this morning, I almost said to someone, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I was sweet. But I wanted to answer a text so bad this morning and say, is that all? In fact, you know, our staff, we try our best to keep up with folks who miss. And if you get sick, we try to be at the hospital for you. And Brother Shane does a good job. Brother Tom does a good job. But we had to take that job away from Joseph. We can't let him do that. We took that job away from him. Because when they start coughing the excuses and the reasons why Brother Tom and Brother Shane are so kind, well, God bless you, God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Joseph said, grow up. Be a man. Get over it. The worst, I can't tell you. That is that all? I tried to say, son, there's a thing called tack. And it's not a nail you drive in the wall. But daddy, my mama raised us. Didn't raise a snowflake. I said, I know, but about everybody else's mama did. So shut up. Do the children, mow the grass. And by the way, if your kids grow up saying, Dad, grow up, he told them to say it. But man, I've seen some people in our church go through some of the darkest, most hideous things. And I'm thinking, how in the world has anybody ever survived such a blow? And man, they don't faint. They still love the Lord. They still serve God. They still honor God in their life. And I'm saying, brother, they got more than religion down inside of them. They got more than some form inside of them. They got something breathing and living that's alive in them. It's called a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some people, brother, you can just look at them wrong. <laughs> Gone. They faint. They faint. I know this should not be the criteria. We ought to do what we do because we love the Lord and we know Him and He has saved us. That's number one. And I know this should not be the criteria of what I'm about to say, but it is what it is. There are people who don't know the Lord. They'll tell you right quick, I don't know the Lord. But they're watching our lives. Especially your family. Especially your children. Your neighbors are watching your life. Even though they don't claim anything, they know that you do. And parents, let me say this to you. It may not seem to be all that important now. Although it is. But you may not think it's all that important now. 
But I've pastored one church long enough to tell you this is how it happens. There'll come a day when you will beg and plead and beg and plead for them to get in church. And it's going to be like pouring water off of a duck's back. Because they watched our lives. And you remember this today, what we do a little bit of, the generation behind us does a whole lot of. Let's not quit. Let's not faint. Let's not be weary. Let's finish well. I want, I, I, don't you have a desire in your heart one day to hear the Lord say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few. I make you ruler over many. Enter in into the joy of the Lord. Listen to me. We're not going to heaven by our works or by how we did or what we did. We're going by the grace of God. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to go. And when I get there, I want his smile. I want his crown. I want his reward. I want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Don't be weary in well-doing. The promise is you'll reap. If you will faint not. You say, Brother Joe, where does that fit in with the scheme of the things? Well, we've seen the mandate of a Christian and we've seen the making of the Christian. But this is the motive of a Christian. What keeps us going when the going gets tough? The promise that if we'll not faint and not be weary and keep on doing well and well doing, there's a blessing. There's a crown. I don't know anything about gardening. If we have another stock market crash or we have something go crazy in this country again and everybody has to fend for themselves, I'll be the first to die of starvation. I don't know how to grow nothing. 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 Absolutely. I probably couldn't even grow weed. I'm talking about the weeds in the yard. Every young person went, hmm. Preacher knows what weed is. I know you dig a hole in the ground. I know you take some little whatever it is and chunk it in there and push it back over. And I don't know what else you do to it, but but I have seen people pick beans and pick roasting ears and corn and stuff. But I know this much about it. If I dig a hole in the ground and put some seed in, I'm not going to come back tomorrow. And pick fruit. I'm not going to dig a hole in the ground, Gus, and put some seed in it, cover it up, and come back in a week and pick corn on the cob. In fact, it might be days, it might be weeks, it might even be months where it looks like nothing is happening. But what you can't see under that surface in the dark place, something's happening. And all of a sudden, one day, you're discouraged. I don't know if I'm going to go back to that garden anymore. Every time I go out there, there's nothing there. And all of a sudden, one day, you go and go, whoo! There's a little green shoot. And it ain't long that God says, you're going to reap if you sow it. Don't you give up on God. Don't you get weary in well-doing. Take your eyes off everybody around you and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Stay at it. Stay at it. Don't be a quitter. Don't be a used to be. Don't be a has been. Be faithful. Don't be weary. Don't faint. Because God will do what he said he would do. You can reap 
if you don't faint. Let's keep on going, church. It's not quitting time. Let's stand together. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace.